Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. So just some context behind what we've been talking about. We're in John chapter 6, and in this chapter, we see that Jesus and the disciples, they've been ministering, they've been healing, they've been uh, praying for people uh, all throughout Galilee and Judea. They cross the Sea of Galilee to get away together, and the people followed and uh, on land, and they found the disciples. And uh, Jesus, already knowing what he was going to do, tested his disciples by telling them, look, these people need something to eat. There's a lot of people here. And they knew that it couldn't be done naturally. You know, they almost balked at that. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? I, okay, well, let's send them away into the towns. And Jesus said, no, you you give them something to eat. Well, we know that story. Jesus, it said, the Bible says that Jesus fed the 5,000, but we know that it was, they counted 5,000 men. So uh, it was all, there were also women and children, no telling how many people were there. And he uh, fed all of them. And with just five barley loaves, two fish, we know the story. Well, it was a miracle, wasn't it? That was a miracle and a sign pointing to the fact that Jesus is the same God who delivered the Israelites and gave them manna from heaven. He provided for them miraculously bread, manna from heaven. So he sent his disciples back to Capernaum by boat and he dismissed the crowd and he went to pray on a mountain. And we remember that his disciples were caught in a storm. You remember that? They were in the middle of the sea, halfway across on their journey. And they were caught in a raucous storm. Jesus saw them and came to them walking on the water in the midst of the storm. He didn't pause the storm, say, peace be still this time, and then walk on the storm. He just came to them walking on the water in the midst of the storm. He told them, do not be afraid, it is I. Another miracle, another sign, another sign. And then when he got into the boat, the Bible says this. Immediately, they were to the other side. When Jesus gets in the boat, immediately, you're to your destination. You may not realize it. You may not see the manifestation of it just yet, but when Jesus gets in your boat, you're to the other side. That's just a side note. Yet another miracle, another sign. And then in the morning, the people still on the other side of the lake, they looked for Jesus. They knew that he didn't get in the boat with his disciples. And they said, he's not here. Where is he? And so they sought after Jesus. They saw some boats there, got in the boats, and went to the other side to Capernaum. And when they arrived, Jesus was already there, wasn't he? But then something happened. Jesus confronted them. He confronted them because they were only there for food. He said, you're not here because of the signs and the miracles. You're here because 
you ate and you were filled physically. He challenged them to work for the food that endures unto eternal life. And they asked him, Jesus, what, what is this work? What, what shall we do? And he said, the work that you will do is to believe in the one that God sent. That is your work. That is your work. And that's where we pick up our story here in verse 30. Verse 30 of John chapter 6, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. Hmm. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. When Jesus explained this bread to them, their immediate reaction was, give us this bread always. Give us this bread every day. This is the bread that we want. Give it to us. Give it to us. Give it to us. What sign will you do? Sounds like needy people, doesn't it? Sounds like you and I. <laughs> And there's, you know, really with God, there's nothing wrong with being needy. It's just, where do you go to get your need met? Come on. Amen. Now, last week, remember, we talked about how Jesus is the bread of life for all of us and how that bread and that provision was already here for us. That provision preceded our need. That, that provision uh, and that purpose of that bread preceded our pursuit. He was here and he had everything we needed before we even, not only before we asked for it, but before we knew that we needed it. He already had that here for us. And we see that uh, we have this bread, this bread, this pre-existing bread that is provided for those who are in the pursuit of God and his purpose for them. The bread is already here. And by the way, Jesus was not just a myth or an idea, as the world would have you think, this Christmas season. Well, he's an idea so that Christmas we get together and uh, we, you know, we get with our family and we're a little nice to each other. That it's, the, it's the idea. It's a myth. Jesus was not just a myth, not just a symbol of the season or an idyllic representation of good things. Some man who was a representation of good things. The Jesus that walked the earth was a real man in real flesh. He died a real death on a real cross. And he was raised by a real Holy Spirit. And is now both seated at the right hand of the Father while God is one in all, all in all. While God is one. Hmm. I can't explain it to you. Ask him when you get there. How you won, but Jesus seated at the right hand. I... But he don't need you to understand it to be God. 
I'm going back to that. You got to, he is. You just have to believe he is. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Jesus is not a myth. <laughs> but he fulfilled his purpose to be raised up. If I, I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now, growing up, I used to think that that just meant if Jesus is lifted up, we just need to come into the service and lift him up. If we, if we lift him up with our praise, he'll draw all men unto him. If we lift him up with our, our worship, he'll draw all men. But you want to know what Jesus was talking about? If I be lifted up on that cross, if I be lifted up above the earth on the cross and die this death, then I will draw all men unto me. It had to happen. But for that to happen, for him to die on a bloody cross, for him to heal the blind man who said, Son of David, please don't pass me by. For him to raise a young man from the dead. For him to heal a woman of an infirmity, of an issue of blood that she had for years. For him to walk on water. For him to disciple his disciples. He had to be born on this earth to do those things. He had to show the expression of love. And here's what we have to understand about Jesus. So many people that, that believe Jesus walked the earth don't understand the nature of Jesus. Well, he was a prophet. He was a great man, just like Martin Luther or other men in history. And he, he rallied people and he did great things. Maybe so. He did all of those things, but he wasn't just a man. He was a man, and he wasn't just a man. We have to understand the nature of Jesus. Jesus had human nature, but not sin nature. We can't understand that. And we use that sometimes as an excuse. Well, you, you had human nature, but you didn't have sin nature, so I can never be like you. But the fact of the matter is, we can be like him. Even though our flesh has the sin nature, he was an example to us. You can live a life without sin. Jesus had human nature. We know that. John 1.1, 1, 1, we know it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word is God. The Word is God. And that Word, God, became flesh. Same God. How did that happen? Wait a minute. The, the, you mean Jesus, the Word? I, yeah, the Word was God. And that Word became flesh. God himself became flesh. And Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Throwing some stuff at you this morning. Come on. I believe that all of the divine nature that God could fit in a, in, in a human being, in human flesh, that's what he deposited in the earthly body of Jesus. But he had human nature because he was born of a woman. Come on. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, the creator of the law, subjected himself to the law. Come on, somebody. 
I'm talking about an expression, I'm talking about the reason God needed Christmas. Come on. He wanted to express himself to you. And so Jesus had human nature. Jesus also had divine nature. In John chapter 14, listen to what it says. Verse 7 says, if you had known me, listen to what Jesus is saying. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Mm. Can't know me without knowing my father. And from now on, you know him, but watch what he says, and have seen him. From now on, from now on, from this moment forward, as you look at me, now I'm not making, this is in the Bible. Jesus said this. I'm not telling you this. I'm not, uh, this is not from research. This is not from a history book. I'm telling you, it's written in red. Come on, somebody. Now listen. And from now on, you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Still not getting it. Show us the Father then. I'm looking at you. Show us the Father. This is what he said. Have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me. These are heavy words, folks. Have I been with you in response to what? Show us the Father. Have I been with you so long and you have not known me? You have not known that the Father is in me? He said, who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You have seen the Father if you have seen Jesus. One, one. And so this proves that not only did he have a human nature, but he also had divine nature. That's why it was him that had to die on the cross. It wasn't just anybody. Anybody couldn't just die on the cross. Anybody couldn't take your place. It had to be him with his divine nature and his perfect blood, come on, to take your place. I'm going back to, this is an expression. This is, my point is, this is the expression that God wanted to show us how much he loves us. How much he loves us. With both an agape and a phileo love. With both of them. You remember the moment where Jesus was speaking to Peter after he resurrected. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love me. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Distraught. Well, Lord, you know all things. Feed my sheep. When you look at that, most of us look at it and we'll say, well, Jesus was saying the same thing over and over, over and over. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But actually, he's using different words there for love there. The first time, do you agape me? I, I agape you. I agape you, Jesus. I, I do. I love you. I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you agape me? Did he not believe him? The third time he said, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me with a brotherly love? In other words, do you love me the way that I love you? Because I expressed my love for you by leaving the throne 
not the throne of Syria, not the throne of Persia, not the throne of the White House of the USA, not the throne of China, not the throne of Australia or England, but I left the throne of the universe to subject myself to you. Do you phileo me? Because I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly kind of love. I love you with a family. I love you. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Closer than a brother. Jesus had human nature and Jesus had divine nature. But I'll tell you what he didn't have. Jesus didn't have sin nature. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so he took on the flesh, but never sinned. Never sinned. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, For he made him who knew no sin. Now we just read that God put him in sinful flesh. Now I'm going somewhere with this. You might not exactly like it, but I'm going somewhere with this particular point. We just read that God put him in, he, he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. Just read it, Romans 8.3. Now he's saying he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Jesus came to deliver us from sin. Not just forgive us. Come on. Well, I can't live a sinful, li a sinless life because it's in my flesh. Jesus had the same flesh. Now, I know he had a divine nature, but we just, he had a human nature. And he was in the flesh just like you. He, ate, he was a real person. He walked the real earth and he suffered a real death. A real death. Come on. And so now we can see why he came. First of all, he came to reconcile us. We know that. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness. And by him to what? Reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth, Things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. He made peace. We are no longer subject to the law. We are no longer subject to sin. The law is written on our heart. We don't have to look in a book to know right from wrong. God wrote the law on your heart. He came to reconcile us unto him, to bring us back. So in case you're wondering this morning, if you accept the Lord Jesus in your heart, you are back in the house. You are back in the house. You who were strangers are now back in the house, sown into the family. You have pedigree. Come on. You have pedigree. You have the DNA of God himself. You have his same DNA. And the Father loves you too much to leave you where you are.
You got a question? Ask him. You have a need? Bring it to him. Don't think, well, you know, God is so busy doing all of this. He loves you. He's waiting to hear from you. That's why he came. I'm talking about the expression of love. The expression of love for us. So he came to reconcile us unto himself, but he also came to give us life. I'm not just talking about the life that animals or plants have or the life that we had before Jesus breathing in and out. I'm talking about he came to give us zoe. He came to give us eternal life, his very pneuma, his very breath. Back over in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus said. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you. You're back in the house. Come on. I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, no, no. We don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can, can come to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He came to reconcile us, and he came to give us life, to bring us back to him. As long as we go through him. And then he came to deliver us. And if you don't remember anything else, remember this point here. I mean, because most of us understand that Jesus came to forgive. He came to forgive us of our sins. We know that. But we fall short in the understanding that he came not only to forgive, but to deliver. We heard it this past week. Some of us did. We use this mantra. Nobody's perfect, but God forgives. True. Truth. Nobody's perfect, but God forgives. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. There are, I don't want to say there are times, most often, the enemy will use truth and twist it to let you have an excuse. He started it in the garden. He started it in the garden. He'll use truth and twist it. Is it true that nobody's perfect? Yes. Is it true that God forgives? Yes. Is it true that we should not use that as an excuse to sin? Yes. Yes. Paul said, God forbid that you take advantage of the grace of God. You take advantage of the grace of God. The thing of it is, Jesus didn't simply come to deliver us from the penalty of sin. And the consequence of sin, he came to deliver us from the power of sin. You are delivered from the power of sin. And so you don't have to sin. You don't have to say, listen, well, nobody's perfect. So, uh, you know, I know God forgives. So, you know, I'm okay. It's okay to sin. I know some people don't like to hear this. You saying, brother Mike, it's Christmas time. You're supposed to be happy. Let's talk about cookies and family and but this is, this is delivering, this is, this is empowering to understand that I am not under the power of sin. That I don't have to do it, I don't have to be drawn to it. 
If you understand addiction, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Those of us who understand addiction understand what I'm talking about. And how hard it is to break the power of an addiction. Sin was an addiction. We couldn't help it. We sinned because we are, were sinners. And so no longer, no longer can we say, I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm taking excuses away this morning. God's taking them away. No longer. You cannot say, I am a sinner saved by grace. Are you a sinner or are you saved by grace? Which are you? Which are you? And you say, well, uh, you know, I'm saved by grace, but then why do I continue to fall short sometimes? And Paul said it. Paul knew this conundrum. He said, the things I would do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, seems like I do do. And wherever I look, evil is always present. You still have an enemy. Though you are saved by grace in this flesh, you have an enemy, but it's not an excuse to sin. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. It's not an excuse this morning. Come on. We can't use it as an excuse. Now, I'm not talking about both sides of my neck here. <laughs> but what I am telling you is should you fall short, you have an advocate with the Father. It's not doom and gloom. I'm not telling you that. You have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is there. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. One of the first things that was prophesied about him is that he's a wonderful counselor. Come on. So should you fall short, you have an advocate. But just don't, I'm, I'm talking about a mindset this morning. Don't fall into the mindset that I have a counselor, he's going to forgive me, so it's okay for me to sin. And I'm telling you, God forbid, your daddy is going to give you a whooping. If you think like that, your daddy going to give you a whooping. He's going to give you a whooping. Come on. We can't think like that. We can't, we, can't, we can't say, listen, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you are saved by grace. And should you fall short, you need to say, I'm not going to stay in that. that. That wasn't me. It was, I find a law working in me. That when I sin, it's not me that sins, but it's the sin in me. I'm free from that. I don't need to fall into that. Don't need to fall into it. Let me just throw some scriptures at you throw some scriptures at you this morning. Galatians 1.4 said this, who gave himself for our sins that he might, listen to the word, deliver us, not just forgive us, deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Listen to Galatians 5.1. It says, stand fast therefore in the liberty, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Does that sound like he's saying it's okay to sin because I'm going to forgive you? Don't be entangled again. Romans 6 14 for sin shall have no dominion over you for you are not under law but you're under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God, be thanked that through, that though you were slaves of sin, were, were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you 
You became slaves of righteousness. He said, I speak in human terms because of your weakness and the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. All of that sounds to me like we have a choice in the matter. We have a choice whether we sin or not. Someone have you believe that because you were born a certain way, that's the way you are. And I'm telling you that you have a choice in these matters. There are a few things you don't have a choice in. You don't have a choice in your gender. God did that. God did that, I said. You, don't, you may not have a choice in your race. God did that. Maybe you don't have a choice where you go bald. I don't know. Well, we won't. Well, okay, that's different. But what I'm saying is, there's a there's a few things that God just going to do. But whether we sin or not, that's our choice. Romans eight four one to four. There is therefore now no condemnation. See, I'm not. It, this is not a condemning message, but this is a freeing message for us. That Jesus is our bread of life. He eat his flesh. <laughs> there is therefore now, his flesh is the word, by the way, the word. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, listen, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So then we have to understand that we have a choice when it comes to sin. Why? Because he came to deliver us, not just forgive us, not just forgive us. We stop at forgiveness, but he, he, he came. To, that's why Jesus came to deliver his people and be the bread of life for us. So this morning, understand what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a baby that came. Okay. Christmas is about the baby Jesus born in a manger, the king born in a manger, all of those, all of that symbolism is about all of that. But understand this, Christmas is about him coming to deliver us, not just forgive us. I want you to use that word deliver. Deliver us from sin. You are free.